Well, good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I uh, know in my heart that the preaching of the Word is the culmination of the Lord's Day service, but I feel like we have been worshiping all morning, and I feel very served by the prayers and the singing and the reading of Scripture already, and I hope you do as well. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity yet again to come to God's Word. I'm thankful that we have humility even in our pastor's body. Uh, I'm thankful that even Sean is willingly giving me opportunities to preach to you and to preach on prayer to you even this week. And so Sean will be back next week, and uh, he'll be preaching back in Luke. Well, last week, we started a two-part series on prayer. And last week, we looked at the powerful nature of prayer and ways we can combat our prayerlessness. I, I think we all feel it at times that we are a people that forget to pray to God, even though we know in our minds and our heart that God is sovereign and that he deserves to be prayed to and he deserves uh, for us to ask of him. He deserves for us to acknowledge him. But often we have prayerlessness. And I hope that last week one of the things that went through your mind is that God works through the prayers of his children. He actually rejoices in hearing the prayers of his saints. This week, we're going to uh, take a look at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And my hope is that by the end, we will see that our prayers can be fuller and richer by the grace of our God. So let's read verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, even as Brian was praying this morning, I was humbled that we have the ability even now to have you incline to our needs, to our desires, that you are a holy God that, that does not have to do that, but you willingly ask for your people to call out to you. Father, I pray even now that you would strengthen us by your word, that you would give us great power and strength and that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and what is the length and what is the height and depth. That we would know the love of Christ, God. I pray that that would be a reality in our hearts. That you would fill us even this morning with your spirit. Father, help us, God, 
to not be distracted with the world and what the world has to offer us. But Father, let us holy as a church come and humble ourselves before the word, before your word, to know what your word says and to be sanctified in your word. Father, it is by your grace that we all sit in this room and listen. And it is, it is by your grace and by your Holy Spirit that we would be able to hear and take and apply. So, Father, I pray that you would give us great strength today to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump right into Scripture. So I have four questions this morning that I want to answer about these verses that Paul writes. First question is this, why is the Apostle Paul praying? What's the reason behind his prayer? The Apostle Paul begins his prayer in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, what I want to do is take uh, sort of an approach where we zoom out and see the entire book of Ephesus, really the first three chapters, and then I want to zoom back in on where we're at in chapter 3. And I encourage you to really come back to these three chapters in, uh, to, to, in Ephesians to really strengthen you, to know your own union with Christ, and really to know the beauty of the gospel and what it has done for you. These chapters are enriching. They should enliven your soul. Well, let me try my best to articulate some of the beauty that's in this chapter, in these chapters, uh, and really surrounding the doctrine of union with Christ. In chapter 1, we see that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That even right now, if you are a Christian and you're hoping in Christ, right now in the heavenly places, you are blessed. You have spiritual blessings that you cannot even comprehend right now. In Christ, we have been chosen to be holy and blameless. That, that seems, some of you may be thinking, holy and blameless? Holy and blameless? That's a blessing? It's a blessing for me to be separated from this world? Yes. God has chosen you to set, to set you apart from this world, to be holy and blameless. We see in verse 5, through Christ, we have been adopted as sons, as heirs to his heavenly kingdom, as Brian had already prayed. We are co-heirs with Christ to this heaven. In Christ, we have been given, verse 6, a glorious grace that far surpasses any grace that we have here on this earth. This grace actually comes to us, it freely comes to it, it to us, and it impacts us, it changes our heart, gives us new life and breath. In Christ, actually, in verse 13 in chapter 1, it says, You've been given the Holy Spirit. And the benefit of being given the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit stays with you and seals you for the day of judgment. When the day of judgment comes and it is coming, you can look back and say, hey, I have the Spirit. It's been with me. It's been here. It's been near to me. That's your hope. Verse 18, because of Christ, we have our hearts enlightened. They're awakened to sin. In him we have been made alive and will one day be raised with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2, you and I were once far off, 
enemies of God, haters, insolent, disobedient. But in Christ, we have been brought near. And the Bible tells us that we are now friends with God. Though our sin feels ever-present to us, doesn't it? Does your sin feel present to you even this morning? It should. Though our sins feel ever-present to us, we still, if you are in Christ, have a peace with God. We're no longer enemies. In Christ, chapter 3, verse 6, says we are citizens of heaven, members of the household of God. In Christ, we are partakers of the very promises of Christ Jesus. And you know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, and all the promises that are in Christ are yes and amen. They will be for you now and to eternity. But let's zoom in. In chapter 3, we see that Paul was given grace to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles, to these people who had no concept of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. In fact, verse 8 and 9 says that this grace propelled Paul to preach, to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's been his joy, even though he suffered greatly, to preach the gospel. Now, I want to fast forward and go to the immediate context of why he's praying. Verse 13. Verse 13. He says, so I ask you, Gentiles, church at Ephesus, ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He's not saying that I myself am your glory. Rather, it's what he's suffering for. He's suffering for Christ. He then goes on before the Father praying that these believers who may be tempted to lose heart may be strengthened. That they may be strengthened. What a sweet prayer for the church of Ephesus. What a sweet prayer for you if we were praying for you. That you would be strengthened. I need to be, our pastors need to be praying for you weekly that you would be strengthened in the word. That you would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. That you would be filled Beloved, when we are tempted to lose heart over a situation, is our first inclination to pray. When you're tempted to lose heart over a certain situation in your life, is your first inclination to go before God and pray. When you begin to lose heart in your marriage, when you lose affection for your spouse, when it's really hard to delight in them, when you're tempted to turn your eyes elsewhere, you're tur turning your eyes to pornography, you're turning eyes, your eyes to another woman or to another man, do you give up? Tempted to say, hey, I'm just going to embrace this sin? Or do you turn back to God in prayer? Do you say, oh God, would, would you strengthen my love for my wife? Would you... Make my eyes be only for her. Would you strengthen my desire for my husband? Well, when you begin to lose heart over your work, and this goes for students as well, when you lose heart over your work, when your superior or your teacher seems to be pointing out all your flaws, seems like, why are you always picking on me? Seems like that's happening at your workplace. Why am I always the one getting picked on? I'm that guy at Morning View. It's okay. When your everyday task 
become mundane. We're like, oh my goodness, I got to do this again? Do you withdraw? Do you, do you quit? Do you wash your hands of the work? Do you become lazy? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Or do you pray? Do you pray? Lord, strengthen me for today's work. I'll worry about tomorrow when, when tomorrow comes, but strengthen me for today's work. Allow me to glorify you and honor you no matter the circumstances in my life today. Friends, it only seems right that the reason Paul is praying now is that he has just elaborated his heart and his mind on his own union with Christ. He's just experienced so much mercy of God given to him that he wants to recant it back to God. He says, God, would you fill these other believers with this same love? Would you give this same hope to these other believers who are tempted to go astray? It seems like he goes from talking about the union of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and he just starts leaping out with thankfulness and joy before the throne of God well that's the reason Paul is praying he's praying for the church in Ephesus and he's praying really out of an overflow of what the gospel has done for him second question how does Paul pray how does Paul pray first he prays with a trinitarian mindset he prays with the Trinity on his mind. We pray as children to our Father. Our prayers should be reverent. We don't just come to God any way we, we want to. We come reverently to God. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. There's, there's a reverency. We're talking to the God who created all things. We are pleading as creatures to our Creator, as children to our Father. Paul's posture of prayer is something to be noticed here. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees in prayer. We really see many postures throughout the Bible. We see hands being raised. We see knees bowed. We see eyes closed. But really what, what this is all hinting at is humility what this is saying is that we don't come arrogantly demanding of God God you must do this no we come humbly God we are nothing you are everything you are the one who can give us all things you can give us godliness you can give us these things Father forgive us we come humbly to the Father. And notice how Paul prays. He, he asked the Father that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill the church of Ephesus. He, utter, he utterly realizes the need of the Spirit to indwell his heart. J.I. Packer said, The Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills. If you're coming into morning view and you want to just get that nice feeling, goosebumps, that's not what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. The Holy Spirit's job is not to give thrills, but to create in man a Christ-like character. Friends, without the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, you are useless. A bird without wings cannot fly. A man without the Holy Spirit is dead. Paul is praying, fill them with life. Fill them with the power of your spirit. 
that brings life, that keeps us. Now notice how Paul prays regarding Christ. He prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts richly through faith. That we would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and the depth of the love of Christ. That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. One of the reformers once wrote, Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. But on the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. If Christ is dwelling in your hearts richly, we cannot help but love our wives. We cannot help but care for widows and orphans. We cannot help but love the people of God. We cannot help but tell everyone about the knowledge that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to tell them about the love we've experienced in Christ. When Christ is on our heart and mind and he's dwelling in us, you cannot help but share this gospel. At the end of the day, the biggest obstacle in evangelism is nominal Christians. People who just name it, name to be Christians, who have no real love for Christ. Therefore, they have no real love for the lost. Because they're lost. True Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who have Christ dwelling in their minds and their hearts richly, they go forth and they share this Christ wherever they go. So Paul prays at the end. He says, let them have a love for Christ that surpasses knowledge. Let me ask a question. Do you have a greater desire to win an argument with someone about some doctrinal reality, real minute reality? Or do you have a desire to tell people about the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the care of Jesus, the power of Jesus? Do you want to show people the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep? Do you want people to know the perfect prophet who speaks and he says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Do you want to tell people about this Jesus? Friends, Paul wants the church in Ephesus to exude, to exclaim, to proclaim the love of Christ. Therefore, he prays to the one who can answer these things, who can, who can actually make that a reality for the church. Notice what he says at the end of verse 19 as he's concluding the prayer part. He says and at the end of the verse 19 that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life in your presence." In your presence, God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we are consumed with the word of God, when we are submitting to the Father, seeing and savoring the Son of God and being moved by the Spirit of God to obedience, then it is inevitable that we will be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays as a man who is delighting in the Trinity. John Bunyan said this about prayer. He said, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised according to his word for the good of the church. Beloved, 
I want to encourage you in this. Pray Trinitarian-type prayers and expect Trinitarian-type results. Pray Trinitarian-type prayers and expect Trinitarian-type results. Third question, how should we think about God and what he can accomplish through our prayers? How should we think about God and what he can accomplish through our prayers? Well, these are not little prayers by Paul. I don't think anybody would come to this room and read this portion of Scripture and say, wow, that was a little prayer by Paul. These prayers are rich. Spurgeon said, no man can make progress in grace if he forsakes prayer. Paul knows that without God working within the heart, there's no hope, there's no faith, there's no joy, there's no love that will abide. There's nothing. There's nothing. Meet a man who does not have Christ, who does not have the Holy Spirit, that's a dead man, a hopeless man, a man without love. And notice what happens. His prayer, Paul's prayer at the end of verse 19, turns into praise. Verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Do you think like that? Do you pray like that? Now to him who's able, who's apt, who's capable to bless us more than we could ever imagine. Guess what happens? Guess what happens? When we pray big prayers like, Father, forgive me. Would you pardon me from all my iniquities? And he does that. Yet even in that great prayer, God not only forgives us of our sins, washes us of our sins through a faith-filled prayer, but he gives us his righteousness. He actually gives you Christ's righteousness because of your faith in his son. And then he spurs us on to obedience. Another pastor says, a man cannot pray more than his desires. Therefore, our prayers are limited by our desires. Yet God is not limited by our desires. God is not limited by your desire. He is able to bless beyond what our souls have yet learned to wish for. Maybe you're praying for your child to have faith. You're sincerely, Lord, give my, give my son faith. Give him faith. Yet God is working even more than you're asking. Maybe he's even creating in your child's heart not only faith in Christ, but a desire to serve him. A desire for evangelism. A desire to be a faithful man or a faithful wife or a faithful husband. God is not bound by our little prayers. Our unbelief hurts us, but it doesn't hurt God. Psalm 115 says, Why should the nations rage? Where is their God, they're asking. Where is your God? Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever pleases him, whatever would glorify him. Friends, God is able to do so much more than you can possibly conceive. That he can do so much more in this church than you can possibly conceive. In the 1850s, there was a man by the name of John G. Patton. He's probably my favorite person I've ever read 
regarding uh, missions. John G. Patton went on to be a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. Now, something to know about the natives of this island is that they were cannibals. In fact, there were missionary efforts long before Patton made his way to the islands that resulted in death, many deaths. In fact, Pat, before Patton went to the islands, he wrote these words. He says, Thus were the natives baptized in the blood of martyrs. They knew not that they had slain their best friends, but tears and prayers ascended for them all from all Christian souls wherever the story of martyrdom was read or heard. I'll read this, and I think to myself, what a great faith that Patton had. After he hears of this, these martyrs, and he still goes, what a great faith. But I would suspect that if Patton were in this room, that he could have never imagined what God would do through his efforts. In God's providence, God used Patton and his efforts so much, more than he could imagine. Much of the island ended up becoming converted, he continued to translate and print the Bible along with his son, Fred, into his late 80s, publishing the New Testament, publishing catechisms, and publishing a hymn book in the language. Four generations of patents went on to serve the New Hebrides Church, and that church still remains today. A church that was once a people that was once full of cannibals is now believers. They're now trusting in the Lord. Friends, pray big prayers. Pray Trinitarian-type prayers and then see that the Lord delights in answering our prayers in ways that we could not even imagine, in ways that you could not even fathom. Last question. Last question I want to answer. When the Apostle Paul speaks of glory in verse 21, what does he mean? Notice that Paul doesn't end his prayer focused on us. He's been praying for the church of Ephesus. He's been praying, right, for this church. But then he explodes with joy and doxology. He says in verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. Glory to God is magnifying his beauty and excellence when we pray and worship. Paul David Tripp says, God's glory is the greatest beauty and perfections of all that God is. All his actions are completely beautiful. He is perfect in all that he does. He goes on to say that it is a stunning reality to say that there is one, only one in the universe who is the greatest, who is the most beautiful and the most perfect. There is no one like him and no one compares to him. Notice what he says here. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. So as those in the church, which naturally ask, what does it mean? What does it mean for us as finite Christians to say or even bring glory to the most glorious one? Let me give you an example of this. I've been, this is probably a really finite example, I've had the privilege and the great joy to coach football for the last two months. And now, I want to say this before, before I tell the story of two weeks ago. This past Friday night, 
wasn't glorious, okay? But two weeks ago, I played in one, I didn't play, I coached in, I felt like I was playing. I coached in one of the most glorious games that I've ever been a part of. It's one of the most intense games I've ever played. There were times throughout the game where the team was tempted to believe we weren't going to win. They were, I, I guarantee you they were tempted to believe that we weren't going to win. We were down by 12 at halftime, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it was crazy. All of a sudden, the team fought back, and we eventually won the game in the last minute. And it was awesome. It was incredible. It was so much fun. I had, I had the best night of my life. I was, I was on cloud nine. But that pales, pales in comparison to the glory that God deserves. We were glorying in the efforts of our players. We were filled with wonder and joy. How in the world were we able to pull off that victory? But that pales to the victory we have in Christ Jesus. That should bewilder us every day that we're a part of that. It should bewilder us every day that we're united to Christ. As those who are part of the church, where the Spirit is purifying us for heaven, we have much reason to rejoice, much reason to praise God. Friends, when the Lord has humbled you, to your knees to see the very glory of God through his word in the person of Christ, you cannot help but return glory back to God. You cannot help but sing praises to God. Men in this room, I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to say it. Men in this room, if you know Christ, sing. Sing. Sing with joy. Sing with thanksgiving. Our kids are watching Our kids are watching you. Beloved, lastly, it says to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we look at ourselves, how blind and deaf we once were to the things of God and how marred we once were by the curse of God and how great our sin was and still is, There's not much more we can do in prayer than to marvel at the beauty of Christ's redeeming work in our life. How he went to the cross and purchased purchased us from the grave. How he bought us with his blood. And how he is right now working within us a faith to purify us. Christian, you should wash yourself daily in the goodness of God. You should wash yourself daily in the glory of God. Don't just ponder and get downtrodden on your inadequacies and your sin. Don't just go there all the time. But ponder the splendor and the beauty of your creator, your savior, and your friend. We were once dead. Dead people in our trespasses and sins. But God has made us alive. He's made us alive. Pray like living people. Pray like people who have Christ in their hearts. As I close this subject on prayer, let me ask you a couple questions, intentional questions. Are your prayers saturated in the glory of God? Do they seek His beauty and splendor? Or are your prayers often self-serving? Woe is me, God, if you would do this one thing for me, if you would just do this one thing, 
I would serve you all the days of my life. How, how often have you prayed that? I have. God, forgive me for that. Or are your prayers like this? Father, forgive me for not glorifying you. Father, help me to glorify you no matter the trial, no matter the sin, no matter the suffering that's brought upon me today and the next day. And then we pray like Christ prayed. Father, not my will, but yours be done. My hope is that as you see the beauty of God more through his words, through his word, my hope is that your prayers will begin to mimic that of the Lord Jesus. That your prayers will begin to mimic David's in the Psalms. That your prayers will begin to mimic the Apostle Paul here. Beloved, pray great prayers, expecting great things from God. Well, this morning, we have such a privilege to have a meal together. A part of this meal is actually praying. It's examining ourselves. It's reflecting on our mediator, Jesus Christ. This morning, we will yet again see the glory of Christ's death in this meal. How his death, his body, and his blood actually brought us access to the Father. You want to know how you have access to God the Father in prayer? It's through this work. It's through this mediating work. It's through the work of our great high priest. This is a family meal. It's a family meal. It's for those who are trusting in Christ and turning from sin. If you have repented and you are believing right now and have been baptized, you are welcome to this table. We want, to, we want you to come joyfully to this table. But if you are not believing, if you're not repenting from sin, we would ask that you would refrain from this table. Acts 2 says, it gives us a demonstration of this. Acts 2 says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And notice what they devoted themselves to. This is what our church devotes itself to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word, the preached word that you just heard, to fellowship. Don't just run out the door. Don't just run away and go out the door. Stay, fellowship. To the breaking of bread. And the last thing, to prayers. We pray for one another. We pray with that I'll go to the Lord in prayer for us all. And then, deacons, if you'll come. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, for your word. Your word is true. Father, I pray that you would actually sanctify us even now in your word, God. That you would make us a pure body, a loving body, a body that loves and knows you, a body that empties ourselves for one, one another, a body that sits down and listens, a body that rebukes, a body that holds one another accountable. Father, help us even now. Help us even now to come to your table to think on the Lord Jesus, to think on his sacrifice, to know that his sacrifice was for us, to know that his blood washes away our sin. Father, would you help us Help us even now to love you and to love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Servants, please come. Please come.